Pimelo Mutine on SAFM. Thank you so much for staying with us. Uh, on the line is Mia Milan, who's an editor-in-chief at Becky Caesar. We really wanted to touch base with Mia and, and look at holistically how we are doing with the rollout of vaccines and so on and our managing of COVID-19. It's, it's been more than a year now. And so it's important for us to always assess, you know, as, as a country, how we're managing this, uh, this uh, terrible pandemic. Mia, thank you so much for making the time to talk to us. Hi. Hi. So you've been covering it, obviously, as Becky Caesar for a while. Your assessment of how we have evolved in covering the story of COVID-19. So I think the good news is that we're closer to starting our rollout. And I think there's a lot of anxiety and frustration. So we're getting closer to the point that we are able to receive vaccines and we're going to receive a most likely Pfizer vaccine that has been approved in the country in the first week of May. We can, um, the idea is that we start with a rollout by the 17th of May. Mm-hmm. And then we have the Johnson & Johnson vaccines that we'll get from South Africa, although we first waiting. Um, we have heard from our regulator, SAPRA, that they um, last week um, asked for a pause on the J&J rollout through the Sasanki trial, but they've now recommended that the, it unpauses. And we're waiting now for the researchers to submit a new study protocol with the conditions that SAPRA asked them to to submit. And it's only going to be a couple of days, according to the researchers. And we will see that trial then resume and we'll hopefully be able to start with our J&J rollout as well. So things have been moving slowly, certainly. Mm. And I think from the beginning of the year, there was a lot of frustration and pressure on the government to communicate the details of the vaccine Mm. rollout. That has not been consistent, that communication. But I think we can safely say that we are closer to starting with the rollout and that people have started to register on the system to get appointments. Let's talk about communication. Now, when I say communication, I want to include even journalism, you know, government as well as journalism. How well have we done in dealing with the science of COVID-19 and explaining the science of COVID-19 in a time where information bounces from one end of the world to another so quickly and misinformation is also a thing. Yes, that, that's a very good point that you've mentioned that, you know, the science changes so quickly. Mm-hmm. So to first look at journalism, you know, the challenge has been that COVID happened it very quickly mm. and it changed all journalists into health journalists overnight Mm. and expected them to report on science that they were not necessarily (laughs) familiar with. Mm -hmm. And just because the epidemic practically happened overnight didn't mean that journalists acquired the skills overnight. So there's a big challenge for, say, political journalists and business journalists to now report on something that, that doesn't just depend on your understanding of science, but is almost like a more challenging form of science on, say, HIV, because it's not well-established science. It changes all the time. Now, from that perspective, I think um, there has been mistakes in the media. I don't think in South Africa the media necessarily performed badly. I think generally there was a lot of effort to get correct information out there. I'm sure if you think about the beginning of the pandemic uh, um, and radio stations and television stations, there were public announcements about how COVID works, what 
symptoms are, where you can get tested. And it wasn't too hard to get that information out correctly because there were so many sites like the World Health Organization and the South African Coronavirus site where you could copy and paste information from. Mm. I think where it became complex is where they was different interpretations of science. Mm. So if you, for instance, look at lockdown, you know, there's some scientists, there's politics that would say, yes, have a lockdown, and there would some be but that says no. Or, for instance, with our recent pause, you know, some felt we shouldn't have paused this mm. monkey trial, and some felt we should have. Now, to interpret those opinions, you really do need to have a very solid grasp of the science behind it. Mm. And when it comes to that, I think there's sometimes reports that are more based on politics or whoever you could get hold of to quote Mm -hmm. rather than a solid interpretation of the science. I've got Elizabeth calling in from Tableview. It's an interesting one. Elizabeth, good afternoon. Hi, thank you for taking the call. Um, Mia, I'm over 60. I'm very eager to register, but my medical aid scheme is not on the list where you register. It happens to be the SABC net scheme. It's not on the list. Elizabeth, it's a fantastic question because it comes exactly to my point. Have we done enough, Mia, in giving out information? Because Elizabeth, as you and I know, Mia, doesn't need to be on a medical aid scheme to register. But clearly, she's not aware of that. No, I'm sorry, um, Sakina. Yes, Mia, it's Pamelo. Yes. So um, I think what Elizabeth asked was, her uh, query was that when she registers, yes. if you do belong to a medical aid, yes. you need to indicate on which medical aid you are because yes. your medical aid is required to pay for that vaccination. Yes. And when and you if- register, a list of medical aids comes up. And I think what she's pointing out is her medical aid is not on that list. So which one must you choose? Mm-hmm. Now, they should ideally, there is a number she can call to inquire, but ideally the government should know that that medical aid is not on there and um, be able to fix this. Now, when you talk about communication, I think there's been pockets of good communication. I think the government um, communicated quite well how the EVDS, the system on which you need to register, works and when you need to do it, but there are aspects of it that they didn't communicate well on. And one aspect for instance, is what do you do if you're not South African? Mm-hmm. They announced that, yes, you can register with a passport mm-hmm. or asylum-seeking number or refugee number, mm-hmm. but there's no information on what do you do if you don't have any of those. So mm-hmm. if you are undocumented migrant, how do you get a vaccination in South Africa? You should be able to get one because from an epidemiological point of view, it's very unwise not to um, vaccinate everyone because then the virus will spread. Mm-hmm. And um, I personally have tried over and over to get that information from the health department and they simply just don't have an answer, which makes you think, you know, they don't have a plan. Is it not also, though, Mia, to Elizabeth's point, I wonder, that the communication also needs to be a partnership in a sense that, for instance, if Elizabeth's medical aid is SABC, say, for instance, I think that's what she said, is it Mm -hmm. not the employer who should be able to say, okay, um, we maybe uh, this medical aid scheme is a subsidiary of medical aid scheme X or Y, or they can maybe do that inquiry as a group to the department rather than Elizabeth making up the, uh, picking up that call so that at least a bigger group of people has the information. 
Yes, of course, it would be um, more smooth running or more effective if a big group uh, makes that inquiry on behalf of many people who belong to that medical aid. Mm. What they'll ever need to know is, you know, who do they contact? How do they get in touch? There is a number, but we know from experience, even with a COVID hotline Mm. number, when it was about testing that you could very well hold on for ages. Mm you know, for someone to answer. Elizabeth, I, I, I think I would call the employer. Yeah, I'm a pensioner, so I'm not, I'm not working for the SABC, and we got um, anymore. I, I got info, um, a communication from Anthony Williams, um, you know, from the pensioner scheme, yes. but there's still no number that I can call. I can't even call him to ask how do I register if the SABC med scheme is not on that list? Can I so ask, if Mia uh, can give us that number, I mean, I'll hold on for half an hour as long as I can get the information. The, the number is on the site, Elizabeth, but what I wanted to ask you is that to your actual medical aid scheme itself, you've got a number there, that number. Why don't you ask them what, what, what the, you know, maybe they've got another link for you. Your yeah, that will be a call center person who will answer my, my, my call. Yes. And I don't know whether they'll have the information. Okay. Uh, I mean... I don't know. Mia, your, your thoughts on that? Well, you know, since I'm not the health department, yes. <laughs> it, is, it is hard for me to respond to that. Um, but I would, you know, and I understand Elizabeth's comment that yeah. whichever, whichever route she follows, it's going to be a helpline number. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think she can also try so, social media and copy in the health department. Um, or um, health department spokespeople on social media. Um, you know, it's often you get a, a quicker response that way than, than, than phoning a number. But what her query clearly demonstrates mm. is that there's not a clear route to follow. Mm-hmm. And we would need that because we can't expect that there will be no hiccups mm-hmm. with a system like this. Mm-hmm. It's new. And so the most important thing is to have a clear line of communication and a way to fix these things. And, and that is not so sure. I haven't checked Mia and Elizabeth. Maybe, you know, I haven't checked that detail. Isn't there a, a box that says other there? No. It doesn't? No. All right. Mia, I, Elizabeth, do you, do you, are you on social media? Yes, here and there. But the, the other thing I just want to know, I didn't just call you not doing anything else. I did call the hotline number of COVID. Okay. And nobody answered. So, I'm, you know, my husband died of COVID. I'm glad I didn't have another emergency. Because if nobody answers the emergency number, I don't know what you do if mm. someone is dying next to you. Mm. Mm. And I, I think your point is very valid, Elizabeth. Uh, what you're raising is that um, if if we have or are given a number for emergencies or queries, um, it should be simple to get through. And, and your experience right. is not. But thank you very much. I, yeah. I appreciate this. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. Bye-bye. I'll, I'll take a quick break, Mia. And when I come back, we're going to be talking about that vaccine injury fund um, with one of the journalists. Thank you so much for staying with us. Just before we move on to that um, vaccine injury fund, I just want us to, to quickly get back to Mia Milan, who is an ed- editor-in-chief at Becky Caesar. Uh, Mia, so... There are some shortfalls, and and I think initially when we had the very first lockdown, there was a sense that the government responded quickly to some impracticalities. So as soon as we said this is not working, there was an adjustment. Have we have we somehow? Okay, I'm not sure who who we've lost there. Mia, are you still there? Are you still there, Mia? 
What has happened to our lines? I wonder. Okay, let me take a quick break. I'll be back with more. Across South Africa, online and on radio. SAFM, let's talk. All right, so I hope we've got Mia and um, back on the line. Mia, are, are you there? I'm not sure if, if I've lost you completely. All right, so... Mia is not there. Um, Mia is the editor-in-chief. We were speaking to the editor-in-chief of Biggie Caesar, Mia Malande. And what we'll try and do is that I hadn't finished talking to her. We'll try and get her back. Joan van Dijk is a journalist as well at Biggie Caesar. And Joan has been following the vaccine injury fund there. And I just wanted to touch base on, on how we're doing. Good afternoon and thank you so much for making the time to talk to us, Joan. Okay, so we obviously are struggling quite a bit with our line. Um, now we've got Mia on the line. Mia, are you there? Okay, it's absolutely no luck on our side. 011-714-2006. I'd love to hear from you. Um, have you tried to register, by the way, for, for the vaccine? And what difficulties have you had? Um, Elizabeth called in just a, a short while ago, just telling us about her frustrations. And I've been thinking through how she can get better access. And it shouldn't be that difficult. What does concern me is that you know, we should be able to even inquire about things that are not obvious. So, yes, things will not be perfect initially, but if things are troubling us and there's an inquiry, we should also be able to get access. And it doesn't seem to me that access um, is, is, is is easy at the moment. And that, I think, is, is a cause for concern. I think we've got now Mia on the line. Mia, hi. Should we try again, Mia? <laughs> um, I was I was trying to reflect on on Elizabeth's call, Mia, to say initially after the first lockdown, it seemed like we were quite agile. When things didn't go right, we were very quick on response and fix things. I'm worried about what what Elizabeth was telling us. So you asking me on whether on whether we re- responding appropriately at, to at the moment? Yes. So. You know, I think every response that happens at the moment happens against the background of a year of lockdowns, but also against the background of being frustrated with how long it's taken us to roll out our vaccines. Mm. And there's a lot of criticism against the government that is not necessarily all the government's fault. Mm -hmm. For instance, if they can't tell us when vaccines arrive, it's really dependent on the vaccine manufacturers and when they can produce these vaccines. So I don't think all of the criticism is necessarily always fair in terms of, you know, if they can't give you information. But what I think is very fair is that the government is not consistent in communicating this this information. So if the vaccine manufacturer can't give a date, then communicate that consistently to the public. And that hasn't always happened. You know, there's a lot of, you know, they, they use, the government uses many channels, announcements, social media, a lot of communication happens on Twitter, but not everyone has access to those channels. And I think, Sometimes they communicate stuff and sometimes they simply don't. Um, it's, it's not always proactive. It's often trying to do damage control afterwards. And if it can just be consistent, it will make people feel safer. What do you say to what government has sometimes said to say they're prohibited um, from sharing some information because their contracts don't allow them, for instance, to give certain details? And in fact, this is where I want Joan to come in because the J&J agreement, for argument's sake, is one 
one such point where the minister said, I cannot completely share all the details of that contract because I'm prohibited by the agreement from sharing all the details. What's your response to that, Joan? Hi. Hi. Yes, so so that has been, the government's reaction to that has been exactly, that's why they had to establish this vaccine injury scheme. Mm. Um, Some of these deals to get Jabs directly from the companies are incredibly, you know, kept under wraps and very secretive. Um, and so we don't know, for example, to what extent that the government has given, has taken on liability in other, and, and to what extent the companies might be contributing to this fund that we've put together. Mm. In other countries, like in the US, for example, the countries actually contribute, I mean, the, the companies, sorry, actually contribute 75 US cents in excise tax for every for every disease that a, that a vaccine can prevent. So mm-hmm. if you've got something like the MMR vaccine mm-hmm. that pre- prevents mumps, measles, and rubella, you'd be paying something like two, um, $2.25. And we don't have any of that kind of information about South Africa's scheme because um, we don't actually know what the extent is to which the government has given over um, the liability and taken it, taken that on from manufacturers. So, so, so Joan, if their agreement prohibits them to tell us that, I mean, I, I imagine we should be pushing back somewhat and saying, well, you know, it's in our interest to know uh, what agreement exactly this, you know, what's in the agreement, because you know, we are the citizens that are number one going to be um, beneficiaries of this if you want to claim. And we will be entering into an agreement with you if anything happens with regards to the vaccine. Hmm. Exactly. And this is what in the, the submission period for public submission, it was a very short, only a few days that people could write in about this. This is one of the criticisms that came up is that we need to know if this is all going to be public money going into the scheme. Um, because we'll be the we'll be the ones paying it, but that's definitely come up in some of the criticisms of um, of the regulations that were published last week. So, so what do we know so far that it will be established, um, and that will mean that uh, we can then get our our next batch, uh, you know, kind of coming through because that was the condition. Uh, what else do we know about the fund? We know the the regulations didn't give us a whole lot of detail, but what we do know is uh, about who can who can actually lay a claim with this fund mm. is that if you got a COVID vaccine that was registered by our uh, local regulator, SAPRA, um, if that vaccine was procured by the national government, and if you got it at a government vaccination site, um, so that's kind of what we know about who can mm. who can access. We also know that you can't access it just for any side effect, mm. and it'll have to be one of the severe, more severe side effects, which in the Medicines Act is listed as uh, something that requires hospitalization mm-hmm. or requires you to stay in hospital for longer than you already were in hospital. Um, but we don't actually know the detail of that for this specific fund mm. at this point. I have to thank you because we've run out of time. Um, unfortunately, those lines were playing games with us. Mia, let me thank you as well for making the time to talk to us. Joan, thank you very much as well for your time. Thank you. Mia Milan, uh, Editor-in-Chief at Becky Caesar, and as well as Joan van Dijk, who's also a journalist there at Becky Caesar. We obviously struggled quite some time uh, with our lines. We'll try and get them on another day. Two o'clock. Let me go to Utsi Lesaku for the latest in SABC News.